0: O give thanks to the Lord, call upon His name, make known His deeds among the peoples, sing to Him, sing praises to Him, tell of all His wondrous works, glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice, seek the Lord in His strength, seek His presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that He has done, His miracles and the judgments He uttered. O offspring of Jacob, His servant, children of Jacob, His chosen ones, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. Those are the first eight verses of Psalm 105, the first 22 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, August the 12th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our study in the life of David in 2 Samuel 15, 1-18, also it particularly looking at the life of Paul in Acts 21, 27 to 36, and the gospel reading is from the gospel according to Mark, the 10th chapter, the 32nd through the 45th verses. So we're continuing the story of Absalom. Remember, Absalom had killed his brother Amnon after Amnon had raped uh, Absalom's sister and uh, Amnon's half-sister, Tamar, and then he had been on the run from David for a couple of years, and and then... made his plea, albeit not in a good way, through Joab, the commander of David's army, in order that Absalom might come back to the city and see his father again. And after a time, David agreed to see him, but then Absalom left and moved out and was away from the palace. He didn't live there as the king's son during this period of time. And so while this is going on, Amnon got himself a chariot and horses, why is that a big deal? Well, it's, a, it's what you do in preparation for war, because war, the war requires those things. Horses are instruments of war, and they are what made a man king and commander, to have a chariot and horses, and also had 50 men to run before him. Absalom is preparing for war. He's gathering people to himself, and he's beginning to act like a king. He's beginning to prepare for war. And David had to know this, had to know it. And then Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. So if you're coming into Jerusalem, the first person you'd meet when you came in there was Absalom, the son of the king. And everybody had to know this is Absalom because he was, he was the best looking guy there and, and, and met all the qualifications and characteristics of a king. As far as the outward appearance is concerned and so they had to know this is David's son and they had to know also what what Absalom had done and, and for some people that would have made him a noble character because he avenged the rape of his sister but here he is he stands in the gate every day I mean, you couldn't miss him nobody could miss him and everybody in Jerusalem had to know that Absalom was doing this they couldn't have escaped their attention And so he he goes and he stands there. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right, but there's no man designated by the king to hear you. He is discouraging these people from bringing their complaints to the king. And do you hear what it says? When he said, the one who came to the gate, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel. Do you hear what that's saying? What it's saying is, whoever came, Absalom gave the same answer. If I'm from Benjamin, if I'm from Asher, if I'm from Dan, it's all the same. So whoever you are, it doesn't matter, really. I mean, he's going to give you the same answer, and he's going to discourage you from going to the king. And so you're not going to go get justice, because you're going to, be, you're going to think, well, there's okay, so there's nowhere for me to go. He's the king's son. He must know. For whatever reason, he is, David's discriminating against my tribe of Israel. You know, Absalom, I guess, is his appointed um, person to come and be here and to tell us this. So, so he's saying that that no, there's n- David doesn't have anybody appointed for your tribe. It's a shame you weren't from somewhere else because if you were from somewhere else, then then the king would have somebody appointed to hear your complaint and to give you justice. But as good as your case is, I'm really sorry, but there's nobody here to give you justice. And then he says, "Oh." that if I were a judge in the land, every man with a dispute might come to me, and I would give him justice. I'd be the guy. David didn't even deputize somebody, but if he came to me, I'm right there for you. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, oh, thank you, Absalom, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. He, Absalom, did that. He wouldn't allow anybody to pay homage to him. He was paying homage to them. What a good guy. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So he stole the hearts of the men of Israel by pushing them away from David. I saw this happen. I saw it happen in a denomination. And I'm going to call the denomination. is the AMIA. One bishop decided God had called him. He had a dream. He had a, a word from the Lord that he was to be the, the head of the AMIA. And, and, well, the man in charge said, God didn't tell me that. And he didn't tell the board of counselors that. These archbishops over here don't seem to have gotten the word that you're to be in charge. So what did he do? He took advantage of the structure. The structure of of the AMIA was such that that bishops were by affinity. You chose your own bishop. And so more than half the denomination suddenly was under this guy, including mostly the people who had grievances against the other guy. And, And he did exactly what Absalom did. And he turned the whole thing into a revolt. And I hope he's repented of it. I don't have any idea, but I hope he has. Because he was wrong. He was no more than Absalom. He's not in charge of anything now. It, it, it's infuriating to see this. And he, he got the hearts of the people to him. not Not only the hearts of the priests, but also the hearts of the people in the other guy's former congregation. He did exactly the same thing. So... <clears throat> Now Absalom, after four years, says to the king, let me go and pay my vow, which I vowed to the Lord in Hebron. Because I I had a vow when I was at Gesher, hiding from you, saying, if the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I'll offer worship to the Lord. And so he says, go, have at it. And so he goes to Hebron. But he sent messengers through all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. He's going to be proclaimed the king. With, With Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing and while he was offering sacrifices he sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite David's counselor from the city of Gilo and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing and then finally somebody comes to David and tells him this the hearts of the men of Israel have gone out after Absalom and David says rise let us flee or else there'll be no escape for us from Absalom go quickly lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword his servants said we're going with you David we'll go wherever you tell us to go. And so they did. They all left the city of Jerusalem. You can see David and all the people of Jerusalem there, and they leave the city. And it's a sad, sad moment as David leaves the city with these men in fear of Absalom in fear of what he's going to do david knows but david had to have known all these other things too he had to know about the chariots and the horses and the 50 messengers and the men that would go before him and he certainly had to know that absalom was in the gate doing this and again david fails to discipline his son he fails to rein this in he thinks for whatever reason he thinks the best of this guy who has proven him everything in the world wrong you you can no longer think that way about absalom I mean, we just sometimes we, we in christian charity we forget Right? that we're supposed to be wise as serpents, not just innocent as doves. We're supposed to be both those things. And David failed because he wanted to believe the best about his son, and he was so sadly mistaken. He didn't learn from his previous mistake. That's how Abnon got killed. David didn't discipline Abnon. Then he didn't discipline um, Absalom. And so we get this situation where, where we're not seeing things clearly. And we're, we're thinking way too much Christian charity, to be honest with you. You should believe the evidence before your eyes If this man didn't repent. And then he's gathering an army, and he's beginning to do all these other things. Well, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it is. But David missed it because he didn't want to see it. And so now when we catch up with Jesus again, they're on the road going to Jerusalem. This is going to be for the end. And Jesus was walking ahead of him. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. What in the world were these people afraid of? It's an odd statement to read that they were afraid. What What in the world had happened that they would be afraid of them? Because all that's happened before that, remember, was the rich young ruler came to Jesus. A, and then he begins to talk about how difficult it is for a rich man to pass through the eye of a needle, and to enter the kingdom of God, or a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, and compares that to a rich man entering the kingdom of God. And he makes promises about what will happen to those who leave everything to follow him. And so what are these people afraid of? Are they listening and hearing when the disciples are not? Because listen, taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was going to happen to him saying, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they'll condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they'll mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he'll rise. The, the crowd seems to understand the opposition here. That they are afraid in a way the disciples are not. The disciples are simply amazed, but the others are, are afraid. And this pilgrim band now making its way towards Jerusalem. And Jesus tells the disciples, turns just to the 12 and tells them, here's what's going to happen, fellas. And the crowd knew it, except for that last bit. After three days, he'll rise. So he's giving the disciples hope, something to look forward to, in the midst of all the mayhem and the mess that they're getting ready to experience. And instead of even hearing that or seeing the opposition and having a clue what's going to happen? James and John come to him and say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Was this mother, may I? I mean, did you rub a genie lamp? <clears throat> and he said to them, what do you want me to do to you, for you? And they said, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left and your glory. And it's like, good grief, fellas. Are, are you still seeking glory? And the answer is, yeah, you are. So Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And, and they're thinking, again, in, in these these uh, sort of earthly terms, yeah, sure, we can drink out of the same cup, we will at Passover. And as far as baptism is concerned, lots of people were baptized. And, and they said to him, yeah, we're able. He says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I'm baptized, you'll be baptized. And this is the cup of suffering and the baptism of death. That's what he's talking about. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those to whom for whom it's been prepared. It's it's not even I it's I don't have the authority to do that. That's been preordained and determined. I can't change what's already been said. <clears throat> and when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant against James and John. I bet they were. Who do you think you are? How did y'all get to the top of the queue? I thought we were kind of all equal. And now you guys are trying to jump to the head of the line and become the most important people in the kingdom because the glory they're thinking about is the the earthly glory of the throne of a king. Just after Jesus has told them, no, they're going to kill me. And they're going to mistreat me and they're going to do these horrible things to me. And after three days, I'll rise again. And and you all want to to join me in my glory because he's glorifying the Father in his death. But, But they're not seeing that. And when the and Jesus called them and said to him, You know that those who consider rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones exercise authority over them, but it won't be so among you. Whoever be great among you must be your servant, and whoever be first among you must be slave or servant of all. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give life as a ransom for many. Guys, you're you're still misunderstanding. You you want those seats of honor, and we've talked about that, haven't we, guys? and you're still trying to get that you know you're missing reality completely it it's important that we not try to take those places of honor lest we become Absalom. It was one of the greatest concerns of the guy i told you about before, the Bishop who, who was attempted to be unseated. That guy's biggest concern in hiring me to do pastoral care was what he had seen in other churches. And that is that the people who did pastoral care and were drawn to that ministry tended to not be trustworthy people. They tried, they, they were attempting to win congregations to themselves. It was never my goal to do that. Never my goal to do that. And I know that, you know, I lived into it and proved it. Um, but it happened that at one point, somebody came to me, a couple of people came to me, took me to lunch and and basically said, "We don't like the guy who's in charge here at the church. Um, we'd like maybe to put you into that position." And my response to that was, "Nope, not me. Wrong guy it But it was tempting. It, it, it was very tempting, but but I was not the right guy for that to start with. so but but there's always going to be the temptation to become that guy and so it's dangerous and you've got to constantly be on guard against it so then with paul remember he is in jerusalem and he's waiting with these with these men who are going to be um fulfill their vow and they're going to get their hair cut and they've got to pay the price to to fulfill the vow and to get out of the vow. And so seven days were almost completed. That's how long it it was. The Jews from Asia, the people where Paul had been, the ones who had caused trouble for him everywhere, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who was teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. In other words, he took them into places Gentiles are not allowed to go. And why did they say that? Well, they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They assumed Paul had done that. They're now the guardians. They're going to get their revenge. You know, what they were not able to fulfill and accomplish when he was out on the road because the Romans kept getting in the way, they're going to finish it here because now they're in Jerusalem and they're surrounded by Jews. And so they believe that, well, we're going to get it now. We're actually going to complete this work finally. And so they they bring up lies against him, just the same way they did against Jesus. So all the city was stirred up and all the people ran together. So now there's this crowd of people. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So in other words, the commander of the guards that were in Jerusalem, the Romans, heard about this and so they come. And they're the ones who are going to save Paul this time. So that tribune of the cohort took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. We're not allowed to do that, and we're breaking the Roman peace. We're causing confusion rather than peace in the city. So the tribune came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains, assuming that he had done something and ordered him bound with two chains. I mean, this guy's a dangerous guy, right? If you're going to have to take two chains and bind him, uh, he inquired who he was and what he had done after he had him arrested and bound with chains. Who is this dude, by the way, and what's he done? Wow. But, hey, the assumption is he must have done something or they wouldn't have been doing what they were doing in spite of the fact that it was all a lie. The Tribune um, then... Continued, but some of the crowd were shouting one thing and some another, and it was like when they tried Jesus, right? I mean, this is this shouldn't they should have looked and said, oh, they're at it again. People are people are claiming all kinds of things. I mean, it, it's either this or that, right? I mean, it's it's got to be some there's got to be something you all can agree on, but but that's not what we're told. He couldn't learn the facts because of the uproar, so he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps of the barracks, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying away with him. Sounds like crucify him. So we've we got to get beyond the evidence of our eyes, but we've got to pay attention to the evidence of our eyes as well. We have to actually be wise as serpents and than as doves. We have to pay attention to what's going on around us. We have to make an accurate appraisal of reality. And then we have to pray about that. We have to listen to the Spirit, tell us what we see in order for us to react appropriately, but we've got to be willing to see because it's only what we see and what we're willing to see is what the Spirit can interpret for us. We've got to keep our eyes open at all times. We've got to look around. We've got to be aware. We've got to understand the times. We've got to be those people who understand the times and act and react according to the Spirit. That's who we're called to be. We're not called to set our heads in the sand like David did with Absalom, like the disciples did when they were amazed and the crowd was afraid. Nope. Got to keep your head on a swivel. Ask to understand the times, but pay attention to the times. See what's going on and ask the Spirit to reveal to you how to interpret that.